Open with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. It's good to be with the people of God. I'm very thankful for those songs we were singing. They're all very Christ-centered, centered on the person of God, and that's one thing that we'll be talking about this morning, Lord willing. When I was in Peru several years ago, we had um, a guide with us when we were going through the jungle, and his job was to point out places that we weren't supposed to step. And I took it for granted in the beginning, but about 20 steps in, I realized we better listen to this guy because this is a very dangerous place. And so this little harmless patch of mud, he'd say, do not step near that mud. And I found out quicksand is a real thing. It actually is. And so I stayed away from the mud. And he would say, stay away from this cliff. And as you got closer to the cliff, you realize that it's a sheer face that actually comes back in. And so that edge looks like it would support you, but it wouldn't support you. And his whole, his whole job was to safeguard us against dangers. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is safeguards against dangers in the Christian life. And let's read here from Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Paul says this, he says, I say this, so that no one will delude you or deceive you with a persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability, the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructing and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tra tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Let's pray. God, we are thankful again this morning to you, Lord, and we are thankful not to be left alone. We are, we have already had reminders this morning of how frail we are and how inadequate and how we are without strength left to ourselves. We believe Christ when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Lord, you are our sufficiency. Paul says there, we're not sufficient in ourselves as considered anything coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And so Lord, would you make me an adequate minister of the new covenant this morning? Lord, would you give words of life from your word? I pray that this could be clear, Lord, that there'd be a sense of God, a sense of your spirit. Lord, that no man would be exalted and that, that religion wouldn't be exalted and rules wouldn't be the center of everything, but that Christ could be the center of everything this morning and that our response to Christ could be overflow with gratitude. God, would you capture our hearts again this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul is doing here in this section and what he's doing in the entire book of Colossians is trying to safeguard them against certain dangers in the Christian life. 
We know that there are dangers in the Christian life. Christ told us this. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It shouldn't come as a surprise when trials come and difficult times come. Um, not only is that all through the Bible reminding that, the hymn writers sing about it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. To be a Christian, in, in the words of Christ, is to be like a lamb in the midst of wolves. There's danger on every side. And what is important is that we are safeguarded against this danger. And my present understanding from this section here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul brings out two hallmark safeguards for the Christian life. Two things that you must have. Two elements that are the only safe way to live the Christian life. And he highlights these in verses 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, if you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. The only safe way to live the Christian life is to be centered on Jesus and overflowing with gratitude. Those are two big safeguards in the Christian life. Two ways to test ourselves this morning to see how safe are we against the world. We're going to face it this afternoon. We're certainly going to face it come tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Life's going to come rushing back in. All these things are going to come at us. And what the Apostle Paul wants to know this morning is, is your life centered on Christ? Don't let that be a cliché. We use that a lot. It's all about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. It's easy to talk about things being all about Jesus, but does the fruit of your life testify that your life really is all about the person of Jesus Christ? And the second thing is, are you overflowing with gratitude? Thankfulness. This one was convicting to me. Thankfulness. Is your life not just... Are you not just thankful, but you're actually overflowing with gratitude? And again, this is more than just talking about how thankful you are. It's a very small thing to say, I'm thankful all the time. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. But does the fruit of your life testify to the fact that your heart has been so captured that you overflow with gratitude? Two safeguards. Two very, very important things. Let's take the first one. Is your life centered on a person, Jesus Christ? I think Charles captures this really good in his book on the law of Christ. Let me just read this in the introduction. He says this. He says, Christianity is Christ. It is not a system of philosophy or collection of timeless eternal truths. Rather, it is the story of how God himself invaded this fallen world 2,000 years ago in the glorious person of Jesus. The eternal word who was God became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking words that had never been spoken and doing deeds that have never been done. 
in the presence of His unique divine glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, the apostles fell prostrate in awe and wonder. Then they went forth proclaiming not their own philosophies, but the glory of the one who they had seen and heard. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. First John. With the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, such a light of revelation shone among men that all former revelations now seem dark. He is the sunrise from on high who has visited us. He is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He is God's final word to mankind, the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He's the image of the invisible God. To see him is to see the Father. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the goal towards which all of history moves. Everything's about Jesus, about a person. And that's what Paul has been arguing persuasively in Colossians chapter 1, is that Jesus Christ is the center of everything. And he says that in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Look at this. And we've quoted some of these already. That He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Do you realize what that passage is saying? That at the center of the created order is not merely just a set of the laws of physics. The universe is not just like a computer program. A computer program is basically a collection of commands and then the highest reference point for that computer program is those commands. The world is not that way. There are certain things called the laws of physics, but there's something higher than that, behind all that, to which everything points to, and it's not a set of principles. It's a person. Jesus Christ is the center of everything. It says all things were created through Him and for Him. Have you ever thought of this? It says all things are held together in Him. How much more Christ-centered could this world get than the fact that the linchpin of the universe remove this and everything turns to dust and ashes is Jesus. All things hold together in Him. He is the center of everything. And so let me ask you this. Christian, is Christ the center of your life? Is the center of your life a person? Because I know in my own life it is very easy to get caught up in all kinds of other things. Where the things, and here's the questions that you need to ask yourself. It's very easy to say, is Jesus the center of my life? Of course Jesus is the center of my life. Well, let me ask you, over the long haul, what are the types of things that can make you ultimately happy? 
that bring you the highest joy. There's all kinds of things that make us happy. But I'm talking about your highest joy in life. What is that thing? Let me ask it another way. What are the things over the long haul that can take all of your joy away? All of your joy away. If there is something in your life that can take all of your joy away over the long haul, if you don't have it, your life is not centered on a person. It's not centered on Jesus. What are the things that really get you? What are the things that really get you excited? Is it a person? Let me ask you this, parents. What would your kids say in response to this question about you? If we were to talk to your kids and ask, is dad, is mom, what's their greatest joy in life? What's the thing that really lights them up? They're going to have all kinds of responses because we all enjoy all sorts of things. But would Christ be in there? Because it's possible to get excited about things like church, even homeschooling, although I don't understand getting excited about homeschooling at this point now that I'm getting involved in homeschooling, but you could get excited about homeschooling. It's, in, it's possible to get excited about sports. It's possible to get excited about all sorts of other causes, all of which are fine as a thing in and of themselves. But my question is this. When your kids look at you and the legacy that you leave in their lives, when they remember dad and mom, are they going to remember Dad loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. It wasn't just about going to church to Dad. It wasn't just about praying for a meal. There was something more than that. I could tell it wasn't just a religion with him. He actually had a relationship with a person. It's a searching question, and it's something that we need to think about as we're raising our kids. We don't want to give the impression that the end of all things is being conservative. The highest goal in life is that you'd be a well-educated kid and a productive member of society. I hope we leave that, but I hope that's not the highest thing we leave. I hope the highest thing that we leave for our kids and that we'd make this our prayer every day of our life, that no matter what happens to you, Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the whole world. And whether you're the next president someday or whether you're a janitor or whether you're a computer programmer or you work with carpentry or whether whatever you do, my hope for your life is that you will have a relationship with Jesus Christ and glory in Him. Jesus is the center of everything. He has to be the center of everything. It's more than just reading your Bible and going to church. It's a relationship with a person. Christ is the center of all creation, and our lives should reflect that, but it doesn't stop here. Christ is also the center of redemption. Listen to Paul go on in Colossians 1.18. It says, He is the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Christ is the the center of all redemption. The gospel 
is not about you, it's not about me, and it is certainly not about this church. The gospel is about a person. It's about a person. Kids, young people, I wonder if you know what the gospel is. The gospel. Like I said, I hope you, one thing that we will be able to leave you is that when we talk about the good news, we are not talking about, or in the gospel, we're not talking about coming to church. We're not even really talking about reading our Bible or doing the right things, all of things which I hope you will do. The gospel, gospel is much bigger than that. The gospel is good news. That's what it means, literally, it's good news. And it relates to this, that all of us were born into sin. Do you know that? Do you know that Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? And so when I'm up here preaching and we're reading the Bible, or when your parents are reading the Bible, or maybe you're even reading the Bible, you need to realize this, that these verses are not just for adults. These verses for you. Because it doesn't say all adults have sinned. It just says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This preacher has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you need to realize what that means. What that means is this. It doesn't just mean that you've done some bad things. You have done bad things. But it's bigger than that. What it means that we're a sinner. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you like this. I don't know if you've ever cleaned anything really dirty. Um, when I lived in Alabama, I, um, you know, would drive in the mud a lot because that's what we do down south, and we don't want to we don't want to disappoint people when they talk about us. So <clears throat> we'd drive in the mud a lot, and so we'd get your you know your car's just nasty, dirty, and so what you do is you need to wash your car off. So you get rags and you get a soap. You get soap and you get rags and you start wa- trying to wash your car off. Well, I don't know if you've ever cleaned anything really, really dirty before, but what eventually happens is that rag gets so filled with dirt that when you're trying to clean the car, you're actually getting the car more dirty because you've cleaned. There's so much mud involved. Now mud's on the rag. Mud's in the water. Mud is just everywhere. And so now you've got this filthy rag, and you're trying to wash something off and make it clean, but all it's doing is smearing more mud all over the place. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that, but when a rag gets really dirty, it can't clean a thing. The Bible says that's what we're like. The Bible says we are like that filthy rag. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says this, It says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All of our righteous acts. And so the gospel can't be about me and it can't be about you because the only thing that we can bring to God is our sin. All we do in one sense of the word is sin. We're like a rag that's been wrapped up in sin because Adam and what happened there at the beginning of time when he fell into sin, we all fell into sin. And when we try and do righteous acts, we can never get to heaven by those acts because we're like a rag that's full of dirt. When we're trying to do good things, all it's doing is smearing more sin all over the place. And so you need to realize this. As much as I hope you will read your Bible and come to church and do the right thing, Those things can never save you. 
Are you listening to me, children? You cannot be saved by your own efforts because we're sinners. And the bad news is this. We're sinners and God is holy. God's holy and God must punish sin. Imagine this. Imagine after the time here, I finally get done talking and you start, um, you know, you go to play and so you start coloring a picture and, you're, man, you're really putting your heart and soul into coloring this picture and you finally almost have it perfect. You've got it just the way you want it and then another kid comes up to it and rips your picture up, drops it on the ground and walks away. I hope you'll come tell your parents or me or somebody. But imagine this. Some kid comes and rips your picture up, something that you've really put your heart and soul into, and you come to me and, you say, and you're in tears and you say this. You know, you point out the kid and said, he tore my picture to shreds. And what if I said this? I just kind of shrugged and said, well, it doesn't really matter and walked off. How would that make you feel? That's exactly right. He said, worse than you felt when the kid ripped your picture up. You know why? Because you know that wrong should be made right. We know that. We know that when something wrong happens, we know it has to be made right. And that's the way it is with your sin. There's wrong that has to be made right. God is holy. And it says this in Habakkuk 1. God says, or Habakkuk says about God, he says, His eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. God has to punish your sin. He has to make the wrong in your life right. That means that you deserve hell. That's what that means. That God is just and you deserve hell. The gospel cannot be about you and about what you do because the only thing that you can bring to God is your sin. And the only thing that God can do with sin is punish it. But here's the gospel. That wasn't the gospel. This is the gospel because the gospel is good news. Listen to the gospel. For God so loved the world That he gave his only son. You see, it's a person. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel isn't about us or what we do because we bring sin and God punishes sin. The gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life. And Jesus Christ died on the cross under the wrath of God. When sin happened, just like tearing up that piece of paper, and somebody comes comes to somebody else and says, do something, when that happened, God did something. But it wasn't to His people. He did it to His Son. He punished His Son, Jesus Christ, under His own wrath, so that if you believe in Him... You won't go to hell. And not only do you not go to hell, but He will make you His son or daughter and you can be a Christian too. The gospel is not just for adults. The gospel is for children and young people. That is the gospel. 
We were born sinners. God punishes sin. Here's the gospel. God sent His Son to die in our place. That's the gospel. The gospel is about a person. So let me ask you this, Christians. Is your religion about Jesus? Is your life about Jesus? The only safe way to live your life is to live with Christ at the center of everything. Is Christ at the center of all of your creation? Everything you do is ordered with a sense that it's not just this abstract, uh, abstract set of principles running the earth, but there's a person behind everything. And is your religion, is it just a set of principles of reading the Bible and going to church and these things that you do, or is your religion like the gospel, centered on Jesus Christ? Centered on Jesus Christ. The only safe way to live the Christian life is to make sure that your life is centered on a person. Let's move on to the second thing. In light of the fact that the world around us is governed by Jesus and ordered for His glory, and in light of the fact that our salvation is completely secure because it isn't tied with us, it's tied up in Him, we ought to be people that are overflowing with gratitude overflowing with gratitude. And this is what is so convicting to me, is oftentimes I find in my own life that I'm not overflowing with gratitude, that I can get into grumbling and unthankfulness. And that is because I've lost sight that it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And so the little things that happen in my circumstances are rather insignificant on the level that all things are through Him and for Him, and my good is tied up in His glory. And He's not giving His glory to another. And that's what's so important about this, these two safeguards, that they always have to be together, because this whole thing of Christ-centeredness is perfected in the overflow of gratitude. It's not complete without the overflow of gratitude. It's not enough just to say it's all about Jesus and to preach that it's all about Jesus and to read books that it's all about Jesus. There has to be something in your heart that wells up with an overflow of gratitude and as a pattern of your life, oh Lord, help us, help me, as a pattern of our life to be a thankful people, a thankful people. This comes up a lot in the New Testament. Over the last few years, it is more and more, I just have this growing sense of I don't have time to study everything. And so what are the big things? And it seems like on every page of the New Testament, there's something about being thankful. Just thankful. And it almost, it almost can seem trite. But if the Bible is saying that this is one of the big things in the New Testament and is one of the defining marks of the Christian and it is something that is going to be one of the big safeguards in your life, then we need to pay attention to it. Listen to this in just Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll read three verses and it will come up three times. Let the peace, uh, starting in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Do you hear this theme? And right there in that last verse, we have both of our safeguards. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your life be centered around a person and give thanks. Two things. Christian life is not complex. It's not this like complete set of rules where you've got volumes that you need to read to figure out what am I supposed to be doing. Okay, what am I supposed to be doing? I do everything in the name of Jesus and I'm thankful. Got it. Now God give us grace to actually do that. Being thankful. What is thankfulness? After looking through the New Testament and trying to study this um, and understand it more, my best definition of thankfulness is joy mixed with surrender. That's what thankfulness is. There's this element of joy and there's this element of surrender. All things are to Him and through Him and for Him. That's the Christ-centered part and I love it that way. That's the thankfulness part. There's a type of joy that's mixed with surrender. You can have surrender without joy, and that doesn't cut it. Because that's just kind of begrudging. That's just kind of, that's kind of the deal that it's very easy to get into where you have just enough Christianity to spoil the world, but not enough to bring you into the joy of your master. And so you get stuck out here in no man's land. I've got just enough Christianity. I know enough of Christ that I shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. All the stuff that everybody else says they have fun with, I know I can't do that because my conscience bothers me. But you don't have enough of Christianity to bring you into the joy of your master so that you're overflowing with this thankfulness. So you're stuck here in this in-between world, and it is one of the most miserable places that you can be. There was very few things that will make you more miserable in Christianity than to be willing to surrender certain things but not be willing to go far enough that you enter into the joy of your master. I'm surrendered and I love it this way. I'm surrendered to Christ. All things are ordered by Him. Everything that comes into my life comes through the hand of a loving Father. I'm surrendered to all of these circumstances that I am. And I bow my knee before my Father and I say, God, thank you. If I cannot thank you for this trial, I will thank you in this trial. That's a different place to be. You don't want to be stuck in that in-between place. Thankfulness is joy mixed with surrender. And it's everywhere. It's the only safe way to pray. Look at Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Can you believe that thanksgiving comes up with a way that we need to pray? But this makes sense. Because if you don't have this overflow of thanksgiving, this glad surrender, then what prayer comes about are all the little petty problems in my life and subtly... It's not really praying as much as it is complaining to God. There's a difference. The psalmist does talk about, Lord, I pour out my complaint before you. But often, often, almost always, the psalmist never gets to the end of the psalm without praising God and thanking God. There's a very big difference. Prayer needs to be mixed with this attitude and overflow of thanksgiving because it will reorient your perspective. The only safe way to worship. I'll just read you this one. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him then, 
Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. It's the only safe way to worship. How about this one? It's the only safe way to interact with others. There are in, in Paul, I counted yesterday, there are 44 references to thanksgiving or thanks in Paul. Of those 44 references, 20 of them are Paul thanking God for people. That's almost half. And that tells us a big thing, that being thankful for other people is important. Because if you don't start with thanksgiving for another Christian, pretty soon every little thing they do is going to bother you. And the offenses will start building up. And you'll get what Paul calls evil suspicions. That's why Paul, almost every letter he wrote, he starts by thanking God for the people. Don't blow over the first three verses of a book because they seem so routine. It's very easy to say, I want to get into Ephesians 4 when Paul starts talking about some real stuff. He actually said some things in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 3 that are important. Listen to a few of these things. In Romans 1.8, the book of Romans. I mean, you've got this massive theological treatise to get to. You would think, we would, like, we don't have time for this. Let's just skip to the good stuff. Paul doesn't do that. Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. How about 1 Corinthians? Corinthians. There's one people that it might have been okay to not thank God for. 1 Corinthians 1.4. I thank my God always concerning you. It's a very, very different approach to the Christian life and relationships. Ephesians 1, 16, And I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians 1, 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, We give thanks to God always for you. For all of you. How about Philemon? You know, it's a very short book. It's not, it doesn't even have two chapters. One guy. Listen to the way that Paul starts in verse 4. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. You see how important this is? It is very important for our first knee-jerk reaction, our first reaction when we see another Christian, for there to be, at least in our heart, thankfulness that goes up to God for them. If you've got a problem with somebody in the body, if there's conflict or there's walls going up, try this. Try every time you see them, just in your own heart, say, God, I thank you for them. And I pray that you would bless them and use me to do it. You pray that a few times and you mean it the best way you know how, your attitude will change towards that person. It's very important. These things almost seem trite. It's like, man, this is what we teach our kids. Yeah, but this is what God teaches His kids too. And stuff that we have to go back to constantly because these are the big things in the Christian life. The big thing in the Christian life is not being able to explain complex things about the attributes of God. The big thing in the Christian life is there not to be one saint that you see that you don't have a sense of thankfulness towards them. That's the big things. We could go on because Paul does go on. But we want thankfulness in the Christian life, joy mixed with surrender. These are two safeguards that we need, that we must keep in mind, that as we're facing this week, we're facing this afternoon, we need to remember this. Is my life really centered on a person? 
in all of my goings and comings and all the things that give me joy and make me sad, is Christ ultimate in those things? And is my religion, my walk in Christianity, the same as the gospel, centered on a person? Is it really about Jesus? When I'm sitting down to read my Bible, am I just reading words on a page? Or do I have, in a sense, my heart, Lord, I've come to read your word, but it's like a window. I want to look through this and see something else. The person of Christ. I want to meet with Jesus. I'm not just having a quiet time. I really want to commune with Jesus. Is my life centered on Christ? And secondly, am I overflowing with gratitude? Am I over, when I pray, am I overflowing with gratitude? When I see others, am I overflowing with gratitude? When I worship, am I overflowing with gratitude? When I, when I face s- certain circumstances during the day, am I overflowing with gratitude? Because Paul talks about that, right? I didn't, there's a bunch I didn't quote in 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything, give thanks. Everything. Is every situation, I think, is there a sense, even though under the difficulty and under the weight, weight at the core of my being, if it doesn't make it out of my mouth because the situation's so hard, it's still a reality in my heart. God, I thank you. And if I can't thank you for this, I will thank you in it. Because you're good and you all order all things for your glory and my good. Centered on Christ, overflowing with gratitude. Let's pray. God, we do, we do thank you, God. We thank you for the kindness that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. And, oh, Lord, I know in my own life, Lord, would you help me to be centered on Christ and would you help me to be overflowing with gratitude. And I pray for each of us, Lord, as many um, moms and parents do face homeschooling coming back up and as many of us will go to a job tomorrow, and many of us dealing with trials, with pain, with financial hardships, um, with family members on our hearts, with burdens too deep almost to share. God, would you help us to have a sense of overflow of gratitude for you and all that you do and the way that you order this universe. As a people, Lord, as this local church of Lake Road Chapel, we do want to thank you this morning for all that you are toward us. In Christ's name, amen.